All right, for our time this evening, we are going to be in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to open there uh, with me. We will read it together, and as we do, what we're trying to do is observe what we see here in this passage, and then we're going to work on interpreting it together and then kind of applying it to our lives. So observe, interpret, apply, and hopefully uh, it will be an encouragement to all of us as we work through our passage this evening. So as we begin, uh, we'll begin with our question about the three key tests that John is working through. And it's been a little while, so I won't put you all on the spot to, to see how you do. I'll, I'll kind of rehearse them with us here. Uh, maybe we can do a quiz at the end or something. I don't know. But, uh, so the three tests. The first test is the truth test. And that is, do you believe the truth about Jesus as he's revealed in the word of God? Do you believe the truth of the gospel? That God sent his son to die on the cross, that whoever believes in him uh, will not perish for his sin, but will have everlasting life. Do you believe the truth of the gospel as it's revealed to us in God's word? Secondly, is the life test. Do you live in a way that shows that you follow Jesus? Uh, the way John puts this is, do you walk in the light? So the, the, the life test, does your life show that you know Jesus? And thirdly is the love test. Do you in particular love God's family, love the brothers and sisters in Christ, your, your, your Christian family? Do you have loving relationships with those people? So those three tests, as we do each time, just invite you as we read through this together to see which of these three tests, and it could be possibly uh, more than one, but which of these three tests it would be that, that, uh, that John is working through in our text here this evening. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, we'll read it through together. Uh, I'll stop and ask which of the tests you think it is, and then we'll work, we'll work our way uh, through the passage together. So 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So if we were talking through the three tests, the truth test, the life test, and the love test, which one is John focusing on here? Love test. Love, love, love right. He's not very, he's not, yeah, he's not, sorry, if someone said there, I couldn't hear you there at the beginning. He's not subtle about it, is it? Is he? I mean, he just kind of puts it out there. In fact, I was counting up in, in these six verses. He talks about love 15 times. So if you have a hard time figuring out, that is the focus uh, in this paragraph is love, and particularly our love for one another. And, and he also roots that love in God's nature and who God is. And so he begins in verse 7, and he uses a term that reflects this relationship. And what does he call uh, these Christians? He uses a term at the beginning of verse 7. Friends. Friends. Yeah, friends, uh, loved ones, dear ones. So various translations, uh, beloved. It's a way of saying that, that there's this dear, close relationship. There's this loving relationship uh, between us. And, and right after that, 
he gets into what you might say is the, uh, the chorus. If this is a song, this is the chorus for this song. And it's that second phrase. He says, let us do what? Love one another. Love one another, right. That's really the chorus here. It's love one another, verse 7, love one another, verse 11, love one another, verse 12. And so he's, it's, he, he repeats the idea of love 15 times. And then this particular uh, idea of loving one another is, is the focus. It's the chorus that he repeats over and over again. Now, when we think of love, one question is, what is love? And the second question is, where does love come from? And right in this verse, he roots the idea of love in a key place. And where does he tell us love comes from? God. Uh, yes, exactly. Love is from God. In other words, it's rooted in God's identity, rooted in God's nature, rooted in God's character. And if we want to understand how to love one another, who must we understand? We have to understand God, God. God's nature. Exactly. So if love is from God... It makes sense then that John uses love as a test to know if we know God. He goes on to say, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So in other words, God's character is love. And if we know God, our character also similarly, not in as great a way, but similarly will reflect God's love in our relationships. And that reflection demonstrates not only that we know how to love, but also that we know the one who is love, that we know God himself. If love is from God, that's our character as well. Now, as John likes to do, he likes to state things one way, and then he flips it around and he states the opposite of what you might call the inverse. So he says, if you love, you know God. Well, in verse 8, he states the opposite. And what does he stay there? If you don't love, you, you don't what? You don't know God. You don't know God. God. So he's taking what is already true, what he said is true. If you know God, you love. If you love, you know God. Now he says, if you don't love, though, you don't know God. And so if you don't reflect this character of love, then you don't know the one who is love. And he says, because God is what? Love. Love. So <laughs> an absence of love is an absence of the knowledge of God, or to put it another way, the presence of selfishness <clears throat> is evidence of the absence of godliness or of God's character. So it's impossible for us to be selfish human beings and truly be practicing the presence of God or the character of God in our lives. Now, when John says that God is love, how are we to think through that? In other words, is he saying that God equals love? Is he saying that the essence of God's being is love? Is this statement different from saying that God is light or that God is holy or that God is true? Well, when he's talking about, when he says that God is love, what he's saying is essentially that for God to stop loving, God would have to cease to exist. In other words, God's character, his heart, is so closely aligned with love, with compassion, with affection. As, as Jake referenced in his sermon on Sunday, you walk through the Gospels, the, the adjective used to describe Christ most often is his compassion. And here we see that God's character is love. So God's holiness 
God's justice, God's righteousness is always rooted in his love. Uh, in various places throughout the New Testament, uh, the writers write down prayers for us. And in Ephesians chapter 3, sometimes at the end of our services, I give a benediction uh, that says, to him who is able to do far beyond anything that we could ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That is from Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. But before he closes that prayer that way, he also says this, that we might know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. So we pray to know God's love that is unknowable. It's beyond our comprehension. That we might know it is the height and the depth and, and, and the breadth and the length and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. And so what we see here is that we grow in Christ's likeness, not ultimately by focusing on keeping all the right rules, but by growing in our understanding of the loving nature of God. In fact, what this passage teaches us is that love is so bound up in God and his character that apart from God, there can't be any love. In other words, all true love is rooted in God. Love comes from God. So what we see is that you can't be an atheist or an agnostic and truly understand love. You can understand aspects of love because you're created in the image of God. You can reflect different characteristics of love, but to truly understand love, you must know God because love comes from God and God himself is love. So this is the nature of love is it comes from God and it's bound up in his character. For God to cease to love, he must cease to exist. All right, so verse 9. If this is true, how do we embody or how do we see God's love? So love is a, a different idea to all of us. To some of us, maybe it means, I don't know, warm, fuzzy feelings in the, in the pit of our stomach. And, or, or maybe it means the feeling of affection that we see when we see an old friend or a child or a loved one. How do we know love? Well, God showed us love. Verse 9. How was God's love made manifest among us? Sending Christ to die for us. Exactly. By sending his son into the world. So we see God's love displayed primarily through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The ultimate demonstration of love is the cross of Christ. In fact, we know, know this from, uh, from John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he knew what? That he gave his son. It's a demonstration of his love. And that's, a, that's the same thing that, that, he, that, that John says here. That God's love is shown among us because he sent his son. So is this love shown kind of individually, privately, or is it shown publicly? What do you think? Publicly. <laughs> yeah, it's public. And there's a clue here in the verse because it says it was made manifest among us. In other words, it's something that we experience together. And he sent not only a son, not his eldest son, his only son into the world. I mean, what a remarkable demonstration of love. You think, I mean, anytime you got one of something, if it's a Snickers bar, it's hard to give that away. <laughs> Let alone taking a child your only child, mm -hmm. and then giving that child 
in love. What a demonstration of love. And this demonstrates the extent of God's remarkable love for mankind. And so, but he, he didn't just do this to kind of like to show off. He also did it to produce something in us. And we see that at the end of verse nine, he did this so that we might do what? Love one another. Live through him. Yeah, live through him by loving one another. That's right. So our life now becomes not a life that we live, but that we live or we live by ourselves. We live it through him. So how do we show this? Verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but what? That he loved us. Yeah, so here he's repeating and emphasizing again the idea that he showed us in the verse before. Uh, we live in a world that says love is important. It's, a, it, it's something that our, our culture today values. But what we're taught is we look for love within ourselves. So we kind of, the, 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 the most loving thing you can do is be yourself. And John here actually says the opposite. It's not love that we love. That's not the place we look within ourselves to see how we love. Rather, we look for true love to see how God has loved us. So we don't try to understand love ultimately by trying to understand our emotions, which is good because we're not good at reading minds, sometimes not even reading our own minds. So it's not that we've loved. It's not what we feel. The essence of love is not really, do people like me? Now, we like to think that's the essence of love. Do people like and accept me? But that's not the ultimate essence of love. And it's not really about you liking people either. It's about God's unreturned, one-directional, undeserved, gracious, merciful, loving nature. And we look to the cross to see that. So the essence of true love can't be understood from Cinderella. It can't be understood from Beauty and the Beast. It can't be understood from any human relationship. It can only be understood by looking to the love of God as it's revealed in the cross of Christ. I mean, no wonder that we live in a world that twists the definition of what love is. In, in, in a world that says something that isn't love is love because they can't understand love apart from knowing Jesus. You can't understand true love apart from faith in Christ. So we understand by looking at, at the way that God has sent his son as the propitiation for our sins. Now, you probably don't have a good enough memory to know that we've seen this word propitiation before. Does anyone have any idea where it is? It's been in 1 John. I have a cheat sheet because I have it in my notes. But it's 1 John 2, verse 2, that, that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. Now, it's, John is, is the only one to use this. In fact, this book is the only term in our Bibles to use this particular term in the New Testament. And propitiation means two things. It means to remove our guilt and also to satisfy the anger of God, God's righteous judgment against our sin. And so what we see here is that if Jesus is the propitiation for our sin, God not only gave his son, which was an incredible act of love, he did it so that Jesus might satisfy God's righteous judgment against us. So Jesus absorbs God's wrath in our place. 
So God was angry with his son so that if we know Jesus, he will never be angry with us. Now, if God's nature is to love, and God has already judged our sin in Christ, it means that we need never question, no matter how bad our sin is, no matter how bad a day we're having, no matter how much we doubt God's goodness, does God love me? God's love, his character is enough. The sacrifice of Jesus is more than enough. And, and God's character is to love. It is compassion. It is grace. It is mercy. So the, the difficulty with this is that because, so God's nature is love, but our human nature, apart from the grace of God, is selfishness. It's to love ourselves, not to love others. And, and that's true for Christians too. It's easy for us to take, I don't know, to take what God has said, boy, doesn't God love me, kind of soak in that. And there's a part of that that is absolutely right, because God's love is designed to melt our hard hearts. And, and, and we, when we soak ourselves in the compassion of our God, it completely changes our view of God in a healthy way. But for a healthy Christian, it cannot stop there. It's not enough to simply soak it in ourselves because verse 11 says, God has something for us too. He says, beloved, again, if God so loved us, and he did, what should we do? Love one another. Love one, Love one another. And man, here's where the rubber beats the road, isn't it? <laughs> John moves from theology or doctrine to action. It's not enough to know God. It's not enough to know that God loves. It's not enough merely to know that God loves you. We can know these things, but it must produce this action. We also then ought to love one another. The gospel always moves us to action. We see this in the nature of the gospel itself. Christ came. He died. He was buried. He rose again. And then he said, go, go tell people about this. And God's love is the same way. God loves, so we should love. So how should God's love affect us? It should motivate us to love others like God has loved us. So this is a rhetorical question. Do you ever struggle to love someone else? <laughs> yeah, real clearly. That, that's a struggle for, for anyone who's human. We, we, we struggle to love others. So how do we address that? Well, not simply by trying to love that person more. Not simply by learning to act nice while on the inside we're struggling. Rather, we grow to love others as Paul prayed in Ephesians 3 by growing deeper, higher, wider, longer in our understanding of the love of God as it's displayed in Jesus Christ. We pray for that. We soak our souls in that but we don't stop there. Then we let the love of God flow through us to other people. So God's character is such that as uh, Jesus told the woman at the well in John chapter four, no man has seen God. God is a spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But people can see a reflection of God. Uh, right now we're here in Charleston, South Carolina. And if you haven't noticed, it's hot outside. 
that's because of the sun. And when the sun is in its full glory, when it's bearing down, you do not want to stare up at that sun because it will blind you. It's too bright. You can't see it. But on the flip side of our daily clock, we have what we call nighttime. See some stars in the distance, but there is a lesser light at night. What light is that? The moon. The moon is a reflection of the light from the sun. And in the same way, you don't look at me, I don't look at you, and your love is not blinding to me like God's love would blind us. But we should be able to look and recognize a reflecting kind of love. A love that's not the full display, it's not the full glory, it's not the brightness, but it's a picture, a little picture of what God looks like. And so verse 12 talks about that. John says, no one has ever seen God. So we can't look at God like we can't look at the sun. We cannot see him in, in, our, in our humanity and see who he is. But we can't look at the sun in the same way we can't look at God, but we can reflect God's character in the same way the moon reflects the sun's light. And how do we do this? The end of the verse says, if we do what? Love one another. It's, it's, it's his chorus, right? Love one another, love one another, love one another. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So how do we know if God is in us, if God's love is in us? And how do we know if God's love is in us? If we love one another. And how do we know if we love each other? Not by asking, do I have any friends I like to hang out with? Not by asking, uh, how do I enjoy hanging out with people I already hang out with? But by asking, how do I love the people that don't deserve my love like I don't deserve God's love for me? How do I show this kind of sacrificial, life-giving love to other people? See, the world understands love that just does what it already wants to do. But the world can't understand supernatural sacrificial, dying kind of love. That's a remarkable kind of love. And so people see God's character by seeing the love of God reflected in us, like the moon shining just a little piece of God's love, the light of God's love to other people. So the question is, how do we love one another? How should this reflect or this change the way that we relate to each other? God is love. We reflect God's love to others as God abides in us. And as we love each other, we know that we know Christ.